You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief he is. It's Jeff McLarge. I am plopping and fizzing with the best of them. I don't think I've ever been described that way, and that's as a relief. I mean, usually I'm an irritant, so it's a nice change of pace. Yeah. What's going on? How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, it's summer. My, yeah, it is summer, isn't it? It's yeah. June, June 25th. Something twenty first. Yeah, that's the twenty first. That's the solstice. There it is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, longest day of the year. Debatable, but yeah. <laughs> so yes, I always say, "What a long day." Yeah. And then my children look at me and go, "Your dad humor is terrible." And I say, "You're only saying that because you think you're my children." <laughs> yeah. So summer, summer means concerts. Uh, last summer did not mean concerts. This summer there might be a, a few peppered here and there. I don't think you're really gonna start seeing. Uh, too much until later on this year, but that starts a good conversation. Yeah, what would you think is the best concert you've ever been to? The best concert I've ever been to. Yeah, I've been to a lot of concerts. Yeah, um, yeah. The you- ones that, usually when I have this kind of conversation, I, I usually say um, probably the first time I saw Pear Ubu, which was 2014 or 2015 in Providence, Rhode Island. Yep. With an audience of almost 14 people, Ooh. they were unbelievable. Oh, wow. It was so good. I saw them at the Feet nightclub in yep. uh, Providence yep. in the small room, yep. which is like just big enough for 25 people right, right, right. and a bartender. Yeah, I, and, I saw uh, Doyle there, yeah. They were so good, and it was the sound was perfect, and that was when my ears still worked. Uh, to watch Dave Thomas, like the oldest man in rock and roll, sort of shamble out and sit in a rocking chair and just belt out proto-punk songs for two hours was absolutely awesome best one of the best shows i've I'd, probably one of the best shows i've ever been to if not the best show i've ever been to i my favorite concert that i've ever been to like bar none was seeing roger waters perform the wall in, in boston because like i waited 25 years to see that show yeah, and yeah. there wasn't a second of it that i was like let down and disappointed it was it was everything i had waited for you know that's a great venue too. Um, yeah, the, that was a, that one was at the Boston Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah TD Bank. I saw, I saw, um, <laughs> I saw what I was told was Joan Jett and Boston at that venue. <laughs> I was, I had seats so far in the back. Yeah. Like I was against the back wall, so I, it could have been anybody. Would have said it was Joan Jett. It looked like a little. It looked like a, a good and plenty with, with red leather on. Yeah. That's how small la- she was. It looks like a, la- a ladybug on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a ladybug with a guitar stuck to it. Yes. Uh, uh, at the Roger Waters show, some freaking dingling brought with them a laser pointer, but like one of those green ones, the ones you can see on the moon. Oh yeah, you can kill people yeah. with. Yeah. It's like he brought that with him, and he's shining it on the wall. Can you imagine the set of balls it takes, you know, to basically challenge a room of 20,000 people to a fight? Right. You know, because everybody's going to want to kill you. All right. Yeah. Worst concert you've ever been to. Worst concert I have ever been to. Uh, I got I got a tie for the worst. And it is uh, I walked out of Pink Floyd during their Delicate Sound of Thunder tour. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy that show. I, I tried to, but again, I had bad seats, and I was a little more excited about Roger Waters as a solo act than I was about them as a band. Yeah. So when they started to play things off the wall, I was like, yep, I'm out, oh. and I took off. That was an expensive uh, thing <laughs> to do. And then, that was uh, an expensive hill to die on. That was an ex- expensive <laughs> hill to die on, yeah. The other one, I think you were with me, was when we saw Henry Rollins in uh, Providence. Oh, yeah. Right after I graduated from college. Yep. And he, he came out and he's like, yeah, well, uh, we got a new guitar player and a new bass player and they don't know any of the old songs. So we're only going to do stuff off of our upcoming record. 
And we're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so for the alternate between singing songs that no one knew and then reading poetry that nobody gave a yeah. about and was a dick about it. Yeah. And it was like, God, that concert was terrible. Yep. Uh, yeah. I got a drumstick from the opening band, even though I missed them. Because in what world does the bit, when it says doors open at eight, does the first band go on at 8.05? Yeah, that was, yeah, it was therapy, right? Yeah. Therapy, yeah. yeah. Who I wanted to see. Yeah. Because I love the song Teeth Grind. Yeah, I remember you saying, oh, yeah, when does therapy go on? I was like, dude, you missed them. Yeah. Missed them. Yeah. Like, I can't have missed them. It's only 8.25. And he's like, yeah, they're, they're gone. Yeah, the role is played for like an hour. Right. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I went to that show for free, thankfully. Yeah, I did too because I got the tickets as a gift for graduating college. Like, here you go, a chic concert. This, uh, I went with this girl that I was like standing next to when she won tickets at the the dance uh, night the night before, mm-hmm. and I convinced her to take me. <laughs> Nice. My worst show was uh, Graves, Michael Graves, that used to be in the Misfits. Uh, he played over here in New Bedford. You know, he got so high before the show that for the entire show, an hour and a half set, he stood like in, a, in like on an X on the floor, did not move <laughs> more than a foot in either direction for the whole show, and had his mm-hmm. eyes closed for the whole show. Jeez. And like the the in between song banter was all taken care of by like the guitar player because Graves was just like a prop at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's recently come out as uh like in allegiance with like the Proud Boys and whatnot. And before any of that, before he just like, you know, announced that he's a ding dong, I swore blind I would never spend another dime going to see that guy. That show was so terrible. Assuming there's enough concerts around for, for us to be able to go see people again in the relatively near future. Who's if you, if you could pick anybody that You'd go see. Who'd you go see um, for your first your first show? Like absolutely, no. absolutely, one hundred percent. Right now, I'm just like holding out hope against hope to go see Marillion in Canada next oh, nice. next May for Marillion weekend. I saw them a couple of years ago in Canada. It was three nights, you know, in a row: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the same venue. Three concerts in a row, and they didn't repeat a single song. Wow! Yeah, it was nuts. Who are you looking forward to? It's going to sound out of character for me, but one of the guys in the top five concerts I've ever seen was Junior Brown. And I would, I really, really want to go out and see Junior and Tanya Ray Brown again. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were, I saw them um, uh, in, tw- I think it was 2019, d- December of 2019, as they were like the middle act in a Christmas show that Reverend Horton Heat did in Boston. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking I, I about never that. Seen, yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember Junior Brown being around the Providence and Boston area when I was a DJ and going to shows, but I never went to see him because I'm like, I'm not going to go see this dude in a cowboy hat. Yeah. And he was unbelievably great. So, so great that I watched a bunch of his live over the course of the pandemic. He and Tanya Ray would do like a live stream. Oh, sure. For 90 minutes, a couple of times a week. And I watched like seven of those and gave him some money through Venmo and you know, oh, I just want to see him see him sing uh, "Broke Down South of Dallas" live one more time. Would be just fan bloody tastic. All right, before we get the show started, I have my always wildly popular and very well received trivia questions. Like I was just saying about our good friend Michael Graves, who was a bit of a jackass. Now, a jackass is a male donkey. What is a female donkey called? It's not Jillass. <laughs> That would make perfect sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know that none of these trivia questions actually make perfect sense, but I'm going to stay with Jill Ass until the end of the show and you tell me I'm wrong and it's something like Drake Bonnet, Zinc Trumpet Hamster or some shit. All right, but this is the week beginning. It is. June the 21st. 21st. It is the Solstice episode. Our very special Solstice episode. The longest episode of the year, Bill. The longest. We'll we'll see. All right, uh, let's... Also the lightest, so there we go. Why don't you start this week, then? Sure, sure. Uh, June 21st, 1948, Columbia Records standardizes the long playing record format, 33 to 3rd RPMs. This was the Doomsday Comet event for the format that used 78 RPM records, which could hold about eight minutes of music on each side. Right. Uh, yeah. And was for, for 50 years had been the dominant form of recorded music in the world. I bought a record player during the pandemic because, you know, what else am I going to do? I famously am not a huge fan of vinyl. Record player I bought was not expensive. I think I paid like $50 for it. Trust me, everything I own on CD sounds way better than they do on vinyl. Uh, On on, on that vinyl, anyway. I was going to say on that record player, yeah. The Crosley Cruisers are inexpensive, good entry point 
record players to have. With that said, like rather than get dragged off into a discussion of record players, I bought two record players over the course of the pandemic. <laughs> Neither of them were Crosley Cruisers. And I found a new a new appreciation for the sound of, of the music coming over through a good stereo and amplifier. Because I have only one good ear, ambient music makes it easier for me to hear more of the songs that I'm listening to than it does in a headphone. All the sp- 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 that sounds normal because that's what your other ear hears all that's the time. That's what your ear sounds like, right? It just bounces right out. So on my record player, for whatever reason, it still has this. It's I mean, it's a modern record player, you know? Right. It has Bluetooth. But it also had the option of still using the 78 standard. Yep, 78 speed. Yeah. And to do that, you actually, on those, you have to flip the needle around because you need a different needle to play 78 records because the grooves are different. Like to differ because I had some 78 records. And uh, the needle on mine works fine. Although I, I think you found out why your record player sounds bad. Yeah, though. maybe I'm using the uh, the 78 needle to play with 33 and third records. Well Imagine be. that. I put on Marillion. Oh, but oh, it, sound, my God, it's so the sound is so warm. Whatever that yeah, means. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know what that means either. <laughs> it's like the word. Yeah, it's warm. It's warm in the room where my stereo is. I guess. Yeah, sure. It's whatever. a warm sound. Not only is it warm, but it's lush. Yeah, it's not only is it lush, but it's it's thick. Yeah. Like what? what? None of those words mean anything but, in that. None of, yeah, none of those words are sound words. But yeah, I had like a children's record called "Manners Can Be Fun," and I put that one on, and surprisingly enough, it played because, you know, that was like my mother's children's record, like when she was right. a kid. You know, right? Yeah, that worked. Well, anyway, <laughs> thirty-three and a third became the dominant standard for recorded music until tapes, cassette tapes and stuff started to come out. Right. And it still defined like each side of a cassette tape because it could carry about 22 and a half minutes of, of music and could be segmented so that you could put more than one song on a record. On a 78, you can only put one song. Sometimes one song takes up two sides, depending on how it's made. Right. There was a record store uh, in my neighborhood where we would all go down to buy our music during the 80s. Uh, and, yep. Well, they opened in the 70s. And yeah, they were called 33 and a third. That was the name of the record store. Yep. yep. That's the one. Let's, Speaking of round things. Yeah, let's, let's pop on over to the 22nd. Our good friend, Hanson Gregory, in the year 1847, introduced the world to the ring-shaped donut. Well, there you go. And that's that was the first 33 and a third uh, RPM donut. <laughs> and that replaced the 78 RPM donut, which, which could only hold one sprinkle. Uh, featuring the hit single, Crawlers Can Be Fun. <laughs> so if he patented the first ring donut... What the hell shape were the donuts before? I, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess they were kind of like the you know the jelly donuts or the uh, or the crullers, you know. Right. Well, I I mean like I understand donut the name donut depending on where you see it and how it's spelled, yeah. it could mean dough, not like a not is zero. Right. That's a dough shaped zero, dough not. But I don't know if that's where the word comes from or if somebody imposed that name on it later. It's like, oh, it looks like a donut. <laughs> ah, or whatever. Or he was looking around and he thought, you know, these straight donuts are weird and phallic. And I can't put a bunch of them on my thumb to carry them around. And, yeah. if, I, and if I try and stuff one in my mouth, people look at me funny. <laughs> so we need a round donut. It's easy to carry, too, and I can put two of them on my finger. Right. All right. Pick a donut. What's your favorite? Oh, oof. Favorite donut's not ring shaped. That's, that's fine. <laughs> my fa- yeah, my favorite donut is a chocolate crawler because they used to sell for twenty five cents up at the Dartmouth Fruitland, and they were fucking awesome. I don't even know where he got them. I think he killed people, yeah. and and they were a gift from some devil. Oh no! But those yeah, chocolate favorite. crawlers are fine. I like um, I like Boston cream donuts. Cream that's with yeah, cream with a K because it's not technically cream. Cream. C R E M E. We used to have a Mister Donuts down the street from me. And they used to have German chocolate donuts. Oh, those are good, yeah. Bavarian those are super chocolate. good, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I can't get them like that anymore. Nah. Uh, it, oh. And then Dunkin' Donuts started marketing those munchkins, which they said with the donut holes. Yeah. And I was heartbroken like a kid finding out there was no Tooth Fairy when I found out that that's not actually the donut holes. Yeah, that kind of bummed me out, too. I thought it was a fun myth that they should have continued to propagate forever. Yeah. So. You broke my heart, Dunkin' Donuts. Those things also, just just put this out there for those of you who may have never had a Dunkin' Munchkin before, they go stale approximately seven seconds after you open the box. That, that's another like thing I noticed, like a cup of coffee. Not a lidded cup of coffee, just a cup of coffee, coffee in a cup. Yep. There is this like two and a half minute span of where it is too freaking hot to drink, and then now it's too cold and it's disgusting. 
This is like weird, like two and a half. You got you got two and a half minutes, kid, to drink that coffee. Otherwise, it's gonna be either burn your face off or it's disgusting. Or it, yeah, it becomes coagulant, or the ingredients for what will eventually become tiramisu if you turn the cup over. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get on to the 23rd of June. June 23rd, 1991. The one platform game that comes to defines the Sega Genesis and ultimately become the platform by which they Sega will try and launch other future consoles. Sonic the Hedgehog is released. Yay! Um, at this point in life, it seems like that's kind of an also-ran compared to like Nintendo's Mario franchise. Uh-huh. But at the time, it was a really good game, and it really gave Mario a run for his money and helped Sega sell a surprisingly large amount of genesis in the united states and the yeah yeah, the port version of it that they made for the 8-bit master system which they sold in brazil for like another 20 years or something they sold a ton of them down there too oh really yeah yeah up until that point because it shipped with the sega genesis if you bought a sega genesis it came with sonic the hedgehog yeah after 91 it did yeah right before that it came with altered beast your favorite game of all time bill which is probably why they didn't sell any because rise like, from like, your grave it's like do i want to buy a, a super nintendo which comes with my super mario brothers or do i want to buy a sega genesis which comes with altered beast Ugh. so yeah so they they came up with sonic the hedgehog instead which really showed off the balls that the processor Within the Genesis was. Yep. Because it was super fast. Yeah. And interestingly enough, it's, I don't know if it was the first game, but it was the first game that I was aware of. It was in stereo. Huh. I didn't know that. The Sega Genesis had an earphone port on it. It did? Yep. And if you plugged that and if you plugged headphones into it, or like I did, you plugged it into my sound system, whatever you picked up the rings... Like ring number one would be in one speaker, the second ring would be in the next speaker, and it would go back and forth. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog was in stereo. If it wasn't the first game that was in stereo, it was the first one that I was aware of. Huh. Well, I, I remember only playing that game through a TV that was so small and cheap with such a tiny speaker that it might as well have been in no sound at all. <laughs> but that's what AV was like in 1991. You know, if you wanted a TV that had stereo, you had to like go to special stores where they look at you funny when you walk in to make sure that you have enough money to be in there. <laughs> right. I, I can go back and play them. I have them like, uh, you know, it's like a Genesis Classics package. Surprisingly replayable. You know, they're still fun. The biggest issue that I have with them is uh, just, you know, being spoiled from modern day video games. It's like, yeah, I'm really good at that green zone because I go through it a billion other times. I, I just kind of wish it had um, a better level selector. You know what I mean? Now that I've finished it, can I have it? You know? I haven't played Sonic in an awfully long time, whether in emulation or... I remember enjoying it a lot, uh, along with a few other titles for Genesis, but that was one of my favorites. Not Altered Beast 2? I loved Altered Beast 1. <laughs> I, I thought it could not be surpassed. <laughs> I still wake up every morning and I go, Rise from your grave! On, on one level or another, you are definitely right. It will never be surpassed. <laughs> So, on June the 24th in the year 1374... I remember it like it happened only yesterday, yes. Yep. What is considered St. John the Baptist Day, which is where this event gets its name from. Uh, yeah. A sudden outbreak of St. John's Dance causes the people in the streets of Aachen, Germany to experience hallucinations and begin to jump and twitch uncontrollably until they collapse from exhaustion. Uh, this is also known as Dancing Mania. Which must be amazing to see. Uh, huh. Yeah, yeah. It's just this weird kind of. I, I, it's the first rave, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. The the first rave. I, I'm trying to get the words to say it. Like, like everybody just all of a sudden started dancing. Well, not dancing. More like doing the Humpty dance in the middle of the street, like for no particular reason. But like everybody all at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a. Uh, it's like a mass hysteria, and uh, it, it's happened a few other times too. Uh, unfortunately, none recently, or maybe it has, but everybody, like you said, just thought it was a rave. Right. Yeah, uh, earliest outbreaks are the 7th century. Uh appeared a, a few times across Europe. Boy, Europe must have been, that must have been tough. Definitely, definitely <laughs> hard. The, the origin of St. John's Dance, what causes that mass hysteria, whether it's like some something in the air or whatever, has never really been pinpointed before. Or oh, 120 beats per minute. <laughs> 
I know I've read some stuff that thought maybe it was like you can get a disease called ergotism from from eating rye flour that's moldy, uh, and that causes hallucinations and stuff. Right. But everybody would have to eat the moldy rye bread to make that to make that happen. So it's weird. It's like the incidents of this happening are always interesting to run across. I don't know if you've ever seen the Warner Herzog version of Nosferatu, but there's a scene in there where the main character Mina is wandering through Bremen. And everybody is in the middle of town da- ha- manically dancing because they have St. John's Dance as a consequence of Nosferatu's arrival in the city. So, yeah, that, and what you were saying before about the ergotism, the ergot poisoning is also known as St. Anthony's Fire. <laughs> what a time to be alive, huh? You get the St. John Boogaloo mixed in with St. Anthony's Fire. <laughs> all the saints, collect them all. Throw in some uh, St. Some Elmo's Fire and then everybody gets struck by lightning. <laughs> Or, or John Paris that comes and starts singing about it. <laughs> and then th- th- certainly there's going to be 150 beats per minute to poor John Parr. Uh, naughty, naughty. All right, let's get on to the 25th. June 25th. Okay, uh, two different years and three different movies, but they are all super duper influential to horror and science fiction films after they were released, of which two of them were critical flops and didn't make any money. They are 1976's The Omen, starring Gregory Peck, which was a runaway hit and built off the 70s infatuation with the occult and the audience for The Exorcist. His mother was a jackal! And then 1982's The Thing, John Carpenter's most expensive movie. I think his best, starring Kurt Russell and Wilford Brimley and Keith David, among others, based on the John W. Campbell story. And that was 1982. And then in 1982, Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, also opened the same weekend, starring Harrison Ford and introducing Rutger Hauer to the West. Both the Blade Runner and The Thing suffered from a little bit of studio interference, The Thing less so, uh, and neither one made their budget back in the time that they were in theaters. But they had gone on after that. I think Blade Runner has 325 different versions on DVD and Blu-ray that you can buy. Oh, right, yeah. Um, They keep coming out as like the ultimate, 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 comprehensive ultimate version with downloadable content. Um, (laughs) You have to watch it in three-hour increments, yeah. Let's start with The Omen, which is the one I'm going to be the most familiar with, because it's horror. Um... I bought the Omen box set not long ago. Omen 3 is actually my favorite out of the series, but the the original Omen is fantastic. It's just that the sound in that movie is so unbalanced, it's hard to watch. The score is mind-splinteringly loud, and then the, the dialogue is... Yeah. So it's, it's a little yeah. hard to watch. The remake was actually really good. I don't know if you have a sorry. I haven't, I haven't seen the remake, but I've seen Omen 1, 2, and 3, and I, I really liked Omen 3 as well. And It's the rare case of a trilogy where the... Th- the three films can stand alone, yep. but together they make a really good cohesive package. Yep. That film introduced Sam Neill to the world too. Yep. I, I always remember the scene where he's like on the talk show and all the guys with the Nazarene knives are like coming out of the lighting rigs trying to stab him. <laughs> Going back to the first Omen though, a lot of people might not pick up on the fact that what a big inspiration that, well that movie inspired a lot of stuff, but the entire Final Destination franchise is kind of based on, like inspired by, I should say, by The Omen. You know, because of the photographs and the omen kind of depict how the people were going to die, hence the word omen. And, you know, that's basically, you know, the, the basis of, of Final Destination. Also, like you said, your problem with the Final Destination movies is it's an unbeatable foe. And how right. you can't beat death. And how are you going to beat the devil? I, I only remember the Final Destination. I, final, I think Final Destination 2, the one with the log truck. Yeah. Um, and the death by pigeons, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but again, I have more experience with the Omen films as opposed to like the stuff that, that that it spawned. The Thing, on the other hand, which is a great horror movie dressed as a science fiction film, spawned a prequel that was, I don't know, maybe four years ago or five years ago. is isn't quite as good. And it spawned a really good video game for the PlayStation 2. I heard, I heard great things about that. Here's where I lose all my credibility. I've actually never seen The Thing. Yep, we'll have to fix that. Yeah, they showed it at the drive-in I was working at last season, but I was working, so I couldn't really pay attention. Yeah, you should watch it. I'll watch it with you sometime. It's totally worth it. And then then Blade Runner, which spawned a great sequel, something like 30 years later, Blade Runner 2042, which carried on the ideas that were sort of put forth in the first story and good, bad, or indifferent, was able to tell another whole story. Uh, around those same ideas and it was it was really fun to watch that too yeah i saw i i didn't see it for like forever and then i did see it but geez i was still at the apartment when i saw it so we're talking like 15 years ago so i, I don't really remember much i remember harrison ford being in it and i remember that what, what was the name sean young right yep 
Yeah, I mean, I remember her kind of like completely railroading herself because she wanted to play Catwoman, and she like showed right. showed up on a talk show dressed as Catwoman. And it's like, okay, uh, security. <laughs> it's kind of kind of what happened. And in over the last year or so, she's come out and she put out a whole bunch of like diary entries and videos that she had taken around that same time and talked a lot about that experience. It was it's interesting if you go back and hunt it down. It's worth doing. Blade Runner, for for what it's worth, is 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 based on a book by an author named Philip K. Dick called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? It's, it is to that book what The Shining by Stanley Kubrick is to The Shining by Stephen King. They both ultimately become their own things right. in the different media that they're in. Uh, but I really enjoy the book. And The Thing, which is it's based on a short story by John W. Campbell Jr. from the 1940s, surprisingly yeah. enough. It is yeah, surprisingly that, faithful. Yeah, that and that's a, that's a remake, actually. John Carpenter is a remake because they did The Thing in the 1950s. They did The Thing from Another World, which yeah. Howard Hawks directed, yes. Right. And that's like the first half of what the story called Who Goes There? And then this one is like the second half of that short story. <laughs> it's, it's neat. All right, let's go on to the 26th. June the 26th, 1963. While in Berlin, your friend and mine, John F. Kennedy, gives his famous Ach bin ein Berliner speech. Oh, geez. Who, so speaking of donuts. Yeah, this is not obviously my joke or our joke. It was Eddie Izzard who kind of pointed this out to me. But a Berliner is not somebody who is from Berlin. A Berliner is a style of donut. <laughs> yeah, it's like a cream puff. Yeah, so when our friend John Kennedy said, Ich bin ein Berliner, he was trying to say, I am one of you, but he yeah. was actually saying, I am a donut. <laughs> I am a donut, which I'm sure confused and baffled the audience. Hans, did you hear what he said? Yeah. He said he was a donut. Do you think that is uh, something we should be aware of? Yeah. I mean, it does I'll, not look like a donut. Just, yeah, hey, just be glad he wasn't like in Frankfurt, I guess, you know. Yeah, you could be in Frankfurter. What? I am a. He has a hot dog. <laughs> it was sausage. <laughs> it's a very strange president you have. You could be an Ein Berliner. You know, th- thankfully for our friend and uh, our friend John Kennedy, the internet was not around in 1963. Otherwise, that would have been all over Facebook uh, forever. Like, well, I think it was I think it was all over the news for a while, and it's one of those stories. Like I heard that story as a kid, yeah. and that's one of the ones that carried around because it's really funny. Yeah, and it's only been eclipsed in in recent years by having a couple of other presidents who the master of malapropisms, right? Right. So misusing terminology this time in English and not in, <laughs> in mangled German to say dumb things like "I need every American to donate four thousand years of their life <laughs> to uh, civil service and you know put food on your family and." All kinds of other things that, like in the heat of the moment, you, you, your brains can scramble or your mouth can scramble what in your brain is completely rational. Oh, right. I know I, know I brought this up before, but I swore I would bring it up every time I could. I can. Uh, we had a friend that years ago, he was trying to say, I just have a plethora of choices, but he said, I have a placenta of choices. And we... <laughs> And we have and shall never let him live it down. Yes, yes. That's the, certainly the thing you never want to uh, you never want to let somebody uh, forget that they had said because they'll they'll keep saying it otherwise. Oh, here's the thing, okay? And like I'm very capable of laughing at myself. I said something like this years ago, and my friend Rob will remind me of it from time to time. We were all going to the beach, and my friend Brooke had like a uh, like a Tupperware bottle of of ice water. With this big, huge block of ice in it. And I said out loud, and then as soon as I said it, I realized what I said. But I was like, how did you get the ice inside the bottle? <laughs> and then, like, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, no. And then, no. Yep. I'm never going to let me forget that. Yep. And, like, yeah, like, all these years later, Rob will still bring it up to me. I'm going to see him this weekend. He'll probably bring it up this weekend. All right. Nice, nice, nice. Let's uh, wrap up the week. June 27th, 1994. Do you remember the very first sort of couple of internet providers, CompuServe and America Online and yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. CompuServe, yeah, yeah, for sure. So in June of 1994, June June 27th of 1994, Aerosmith, remember them? Yes. Aerosmith, a band who's, who's transcended a, a half a century now yep. in, in making records, released a track from the recording sessions for their album Get a Grip called Head First on CompuServe for free if you typed in Get Aerosmith in their earliest attempts at a web browser. And it would go and download um, a 4.3 megabyte wave file to your computer over about 90 minutes. And then you'd have this those, Aerosmith song. Those are the days. 
about 10,000 10, people did it in a couple of weeks, making it one, the first song that was electronically downloaded being released by a band and a record company, Virgin Records. And then it was the one that had the most, simul, not simultaneous, but the most downloads in a, in, a, in a measured period. Very interesting that they were able to sort of grab, grab onto that. Yeah, 1994. Uh, in 19, that early and and the song itself um head first doesn't appear on the record it's not on get a grip but it's like one of the you know bands always record an extra five or six songs and then they pick out of the the group that they they have what's going to be on the record unless they're the smashing pumpkins and then or <laughs> guns and roses but you can go and still listen to the song in its original like i'm not sure what it was encoded in for digitization but you can hear it on youtube and it still sounds really good and it's a good good song aerosmith uh, up until at one point was actually on my worst concert list <laughs> I, really? Yeah, I saw them on the Pump tour, and it was just it wasn't it wasn't very good. But uh, I did see them later on. I saw them as a as a part of the River Rave, which was like a you know a festival show, and they were yeah. they were late. You know they were they were ended up being like twenty minutes late for the for their slotted time. But when they well, they were probably at the early bird special at like yeah. the, the Chuck Shine Inn. So when they finally did go on, though, no, they were fantastic when they when they played that time. But when I saw them in nineteen eighty eight, yeah, I was I was disappointed. I think 88 was at their their peak of their like lousy years. They were just starting to cl- crawl back out into the public consciousness after that, right? Well, yes, yeah, yes and no. Like uh, they broke up in the 70s and then yeah. then they got back together in the mid 80s. Oh, yeah, that's that's right. I can't remember the name of the first comeback album. It was like 85, I think 85 or 86. And then they came out with Permanent Vacation. And Permanent Vacation did yeah. very very well. And I really like that album. I was just I was saying to you at the beginning of the show before we went on that if you take all the singles out of like the, the worst songs on that album are the singles. All the right. all the deep cuts on that album are fantastic. All right, so let's move on to the celebrity birthdays, starting with right. June the twenty first. Here's an interesting one: Meredith Baxter Burney and Michael Gross, who played the parents on the. Uh, NBC sitcom Family Ties, kind of where uh, Michael J. Fox got started. But anyway, yeah, Michael Gross and Meredith Baxter, who played the parents, both have the same birthday, year included, June 21st, wow. 1947. Yeah, they have the same birthday. They're like twins, yeah. except uh, from different parents. And yeah, they're not born 87 days apart. It's a good thing they're not twins, because that would have made the show super weird. Super weird, yeah. Weirder than it already was. Yeah. yeah. Weirder than it already was, and... I don't know if anybody in the audience has uh, read or sat through the Ready Player One film or read the book, but now you have a piece of information that might get you to one of the golden eggs. Yeah. Well, that book is like 55% freaking trivia for that show. So I used to watch Family Ties, but to be honest with you, I couldn't tell you a single subplot on that show. I don't remember anything. I'm going to remind you of one, and you're going to go, of course I remember that one. Are you ready? Yeah. Uncle Tom Hanks is an alcoholic and drinks maraschino cherry juice. Nope. You don't remember nope. that one where he, he was the fun uncle and he was an alcoholic? No. That's the only episode of that show I no, remember. Only, a very special episode. of. The that. only thing I remember is they were making fun of Michael J. Fox in one episode because they bought him a toy as a baby and he would rather have the box that the toy came in and he called it Baba. That's the only thing I remember from the show. Ah, well, there you go. All right, moving on. June 22nd, 1965. A German film director renowned for his terrible filmmaking, Uwe Ball. Uh, is sprung upon the world. Uh, he is. You may not recognize that name. I don't. But he's made films like House of the Dead, which is based on a video game and is terrible. Never a good sign. In the Name of a King, a Dungeon Siege movie, also based on a video game and also terrible. That one stars Jason Statham, though. That does not make it good. And the adaptation of Postal, also based on a video game and also awful. That I saw. Uh, so the the rumor is that he he, he makes these. Sh- crappy films <laughs> as a way to draw tax money out of the German government because he makes them all in Germany so he can he can pull in actors and pay them like in the name of the king dungeon siege man F. Murray Abraham was in that movie the girl that looks like Helen Hunt but isn't Helen Hunt <laughs> Lily Sobieski was in that movie Jason Statham was in that movie Burt Reynolds was in that movie the guy from Goodfellas was in that movie everything else in that movie was terrible and they were all terrible and you could all tell that they didn't want to be there all the way through the film, you know. Um, I, I saw the movie Postal. My friend had recommended it to me, and I, I thought it was okay, right? And then, like, two years later, I'm doing uh, what I called virtual movie nights during the, the lockdowns, where a bunch of my friends and I would all watch the movie at the same time and then talk about it in a chat room. And somebody had recommended that movie Postal, and I'm watching it, and I was like, I, I feel like I've seen this before. And yeah, sure enough, I had. Yeah, that's how memorable it was. I couldn't. I, I could not remember that I had actually seen it before. <laughs> yes, and 
he's he's a sort of outspoken defender of his films, which I can understand and appreciate a little bit to the point where he's challenged people to like boxing matches who didn't like his films. I think when uh, he challenged a guy, that critic that gave him a bunch of crap about the Dungeon Siege movie, and they ended up boxing for charity. That's great. Um, uh, yeah, so he's out there. He's. Uh, I, I thought you were gonna say like, uh, like Billy Billy. No, we are excellent singers. <laughs> yes, we sing very much like American soul music. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of excellent singers, depending on your taste in singers, I guess. Uh, June the twenty third, in the year of our Lord nineteen fifty five, Glenn Danzig. Glenn Danzig. Yep. Glenn Danzig, uh, former frontman of the Misfits, who was a, I'm going to guess, a better frontman than whenever I saw Graves at New Bedford, who was awful. But anyway, Glenn Danzig, um, who, uh, after the Misfits, he formed another band called Sam Hain or Samhain. That band was fantastic. Unfortunately, you can't really find their music anymore. Like, it's not on Spotify. The CDs are all discontinued and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. But it's really, yeah, Sam Hain. If you haven't heard the Sam Hain stuff, it's really good. And then Does it sound sound like the, like the more like the Misfits or more like his solo records after Sam Hain? It's, it's more like the Misfits. Okay, so a little less of the... It, you, can, you can tell it's the in-between, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing with, with, like, Danzig's first album, you have to remember that it was produced by Rick Rubin. Yes, I, I know. And my favorite of all record producers, Rick Rubin. Yeah, Rick Rubin. The Uwe Ball of record yeah, production. Yeah, Rick Rubin, uh, I mean, you can get, got to give the guy credit. He can take people and change their sound and make them into million sellers. The problem is, is it alienates their core audience most of the time. Like, uh, and it makes for some records that just, be, I think that the records just become oddities. Nobody listens to the whole Johnny Cash record that he produced. They listen to Hurt. Right. Nobody listens to the whole Neil Diamond record. Even my mother, who would kill you to get within five feet of Neil Diamond. She doesn't listen to the whole record. She listens to the one song that came out as a as the first release from that record. Yeah, well, I mean, the other side of that argument is Glenn Danzig's first album. You know, the Danzig album. is You know, it's very blues-based, which is different from the punk stuff that he had been doing. Look yep. look at Blood Sugar Sex Magic, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, it was a big seller for them, but it also yeah, it also changed their sound a lot. And MC900 for Jesus' last album, One Step Ahead of the Spider, which was way different from his other albums. Right. That was a Rick Rubin thing. Right. Yep. So, yeah. I stand by my description of him as the Uwe Ball of... Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but getting back to Glenn Danzig, yep. Uh, had a famous feud with the other members in The Misfits forever. And then finally kind of like succumbed and they did a couple of reunion shows. It was basically just a machine to print money at that point. But unfortunately, they waited too long and then COVID happened. So maybe they can go back out and do some shows once the, the, the lockdowns are completely lifted. But who knows? I mean, he's not young anymore. No, I know he was doing, he did a couple of like guest spots on Portlandia as, yep. as a guy selling like goth t-shirts to the two goth characters that they do yep. on the beach. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, if you ever want to see something funny, just go to YouTube and type in Glenn Danzig gets knocked out. Um, <laughs> Glenn Danzig is a muscular man, but he's also about five foot five. And in the video, he is like arguing with a man that's about six foot two and shoves him. And the guy just clocks Danzig. Danzig spins like a freaking top and just it eats the ground. He goes down hard. All right, next up. Hey, speaking of weird musicians that put out strange records. Speaking of Satan. <laughs> June 24th, 1942, a guy who up until COVID was still touring at like 76 years old. Oh, wow. Arthur Brown. Yeah. The crazy world of Arthur Brown. Still doing the same songs. Same, same. Still doing the... I am the god of hellfire, and I bring you. Sort of came out of that weird end of the 1960s, had a couple of records that, the first record at least, that was a big hit, got him into some movies, and then his next record never came out, and then his next record after that didn't come out, and then he was an extra in Tommy, and then he was a carpenter. And now he's touring again. Yeah, that Crazy World of Arthur Brown album is like, it's almost like a concept album. It's almost... It is totally a concept album. It's great. That first record is fan bloody tastic. Very, uh, very weird and psychedelic and stuff like that. Yeah, 
Uh, I actually went back and listened to a few tracks of that not all that long ago. I love it. It's great. It's open and closes with a poem. Oh, it's just awesome. Everything about that record's a lot of fun. Next up on the 25th, no oh boy. I know how you love my mispronunciations of everything. I, I can't Check wait. Check this one out. June 25th, 1963. Georgios? Kyrakos? Kyrakos? Uh-huh. Pain, uh, oh, screw it. The guy's name is George Michael. <laughs> oh, yeah, George yep. Michael. George Michael from the band Wham, and then a, a very successful solo career after that. I was saying before we we started recording today how much I appreciate his music more now than I did when it was pop when it was new uh-huh. when it was out. Right. Going back and listening to Faith and just the records around that time period, it's, it's his voice was unbelievable, yes, unbelievably fantastic, and those records are beautifully produced. What good pop music! Oh my gosh! That concert that they did uh, whenever Freddie Mercury passed away, the you know the Queen tribute concert. You know they had a bunch of bands do a bunch of Queen covers, and then they had Queen come out without Freddie Mercury, obviously, with a bunch of guest vocalists. George Michael's rendition of "Someone to Love" with you know with Queen playing. I don't know why they didn't hire him on the spot. Unbelievably good. There was an interview that just in the last year or so that Brian May did where he talked about that. And that question had come up a lot, I guess he said. And he says, his vocal range was right for that song. Uh-huh. He was a huge star in his own right. It just wouldn't have worked. Uh-huh. And that was why they went and they ended up touring with Paul Rogers for a while and now with Adam Lambert, who is fa- fantastic fronting that band. All right, so who do we got for the 26th? June 26, 1909, Colonel Tom Parker, who was neither a Colonel, uh, Tom or a Parker, or an American. <laughs> His name was actually Andreas Cornelius Van Kulik, and if you don't know who he is with either name, he was uh, Elvis Presley's manager right from the very beginning of Elvis Presley's career. The colonel! And steered, and the Colonel, and steered Elvis into making all of those incredibly shitty movies <laughs> instead of making more records, and made Elvis a sort of multimedia star, or helped make Elvis a multimedia star. His legacy is, you have to go and do your own research and form your own opinion, but... He was the one who pushed Elvis to keep making like Rockahula Baby and Clam Bake and some of the other stuff that he was in. It was good. Rick, um, the Rick Rubin of his time. And micromanaged Elvis's career. You know, and Elvis uh, only saw one way out of that contract. If you uh, if you took the Colonel and like split him in half, you would get Rick Rubin and Don King. Yeah, and uh, and a little Dutch guy with pancakes. Cause <laughs> a little Dutch guy clink dancing. Dutch guy, little Dutch guy. <laughs> so that's Colonel Tom Parker. Um, and now, wrapping up the birthdays, motivational speaker and, sadly, the, the woman who is the, uh, the punchline of uh, way too many jokes, Helen Keller. She was born in 1880, June 27th, 1880. She was born deaf, dumb, and blind. Pinball hadn't been invented yet, so there was no career path for her. <laughs> and, you know, thanks to the help of the woman who would later be known as the miracle worker, Ann Sullivan, learned to communicate. And yeah. Helen, Helen Keller... Went on to have a uh, a very you know successful motivational speaking career. Like yes. she learned she learned to talk and communicate, she even though she had yeah. And you can still listen to their recordings of her giving speeches and making remarks. Uh, she was also a strong advocate for education. Mm-hmm. You'd think naturally she would spend her sort of energy on on trying to help people with disabilities that were similar to her, but she was a, a huge advocate for children's education, new approaches to learning for all children, irrespective of age, disability, ability, or whatever. You know, we all grew up with, you know, a, 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 a placenta of Helen Keller jokes. <laughs> you know, all, all of which are in bad taste. But the, the the bigger story of Helen Keller, you know, whenever someone says, oh, I could never do that, it's like, Helen Keller did all, quite a bit. Yeah, and she, all you, all you need is a little bit of motivation, I guess. That's it, that's it. All you need is a good swift kick in the pants is what you need. That's right. Uh, one advantage that Helen Keller had, uh, you know, being deaf the way she was is she would never really be exposed to the worst song ever uh jeff a couple of weeks ago you brought up uh the shags yes three-piece band out of new hampshire who just famously could not play could not sing could not write could could not do anything but there's this like kind of like love weird cult yeah and fondness for them yep i have it in spades Yep. I came across a modern version of this, and every everybody's going to know this name. I, I, I've been doing this thing this year, I think I told you about it, where I have to listen to an album a day, every day. And uh, the category not all that long ago was a contestant on American Idol. I'm not really a pop music person, so listening to the likes of you know, Kelly Clarkson, 
or Adam Lambert. It's not really in my wheelhouse. So I ironically decided that I was going to listen to William Hung's album. Oh. Uh, called Inspiration. And like I said, I, I was going to listen to it as a goof. And it's not good. It's it's not good. But it's also amazing and charming. Mm-hmm. Before we get uh, go anywhere, let's just we're going to play the clip. The clip I'm going to play is not going to be She Bangs, which is you know probably what everybody's going to be familiar with. Right. One of the songs that he did was I Believe I Can Fly from R. Kelly, and uh. which BT Dubs that song is shit to begin with. Um, <laughs> but it really, really kind of like emphasizes the fact that our friend uh, Billy Hung over here can't sing at all. So let's just play this clip to give you an example. And I can be it If I just believe it There's nothing to it I believe I can fly I believe I can touch the sky I think about it every night and day Spread my wings and my big problem with this is they could have fixed this. There is technology. We can land a man on the moon, Jeff. There's technology to fix this, but they yes. did it, you know? Well, I, I think that's because, I mean, by the time William was recording the, the album, mm-hmm. like he was already known as the guy who did She Bangs on American Idol. Right. And no matter how much auto-tune you put on him, they're going to go, that's not William Hung. Right. You know? So what his charm was was that he went that far on American Idol. Right. Purpose, not purposely, but like going out there and, and doing his rendition of, of those songs. So yep. He's a very interesting story, William Hung. I mean, what everybody's going to know is what people just laugh at. You know what I mean? I mean, he was a kid. He was like 20, I think, whenever he auditioned for American Idol. Uh, 21. All right. So he was like 21 when he auditioned for American Idol. You know, you, you listen to him. You know, he's, he was born in Hong Kong, so right. English isn't his native language. He, he tried out for American Idol. What had happened was he had won like a talent show at UC, right, in at, college. At UC Berkeley, right. And it might have been just like, I, I hate to use the word pity, but it might have been like one of those things. Like people laughing at him. And yeah, the sort of the Bodie McBoatface thing, where that wins the contest to name like an international, like important science boat vessel name. Right. Right. Yeah. Because you know, yeah, it's funny to keep sort of messing with the. You, this is how we break the system. Watch, ha ha! I'm waving my arm as I say this. Ha ha ha! You know, yeah. and push push this guy through. Right. So he tried out for American Idol, and you know, it's that's it's a big cattle call. They start off with like three thousand people, and they eliminate a lot, and then it gets down to like five hundred people, and they eliminate a lot. But he made it all the way up to the judges. Right. Because you know, people just want to laugh at him. I guess it went viral. It right. went it went viral for him. You know, we all had a good laugh at it because it's you know it's bad. Yeah. But at the same time, you know what? These guys got bigger balls than anybody that laughed at him. I'll say right. that. No, that's definitely true. It's that's like going to see somebody who's like who's really who has a really good time at karaoke and is not good at it, and it doesn't matter. Right. You know what I mean? He goes out there. They go out there and do it. Here's the one sitting in the back eating French fries, not doing right. Like that dude's up there and he's shaking his money maker for whatever money it's making. He, he got hired to do like a couple of like corporate events or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't really sure about whether he should be doing this or not because, you know, they're basically just pushing him up there to laugh at him. But he was right. like, you know what? If I'm entertaining these people, then so be it. Right. And then somebody from the, uh, the, the Coke record company, which is a little independent label, like came up to him with a check for $25,000 and said, we want to record an album with you. Right. He kicked the idea for a, uh, you know around for a little while because he didn't want to be the stereotype that everybody was laughing at. But at the same time, what he did was when he recorded this album, the name of the album is Inspiration, right? Right. And it opens with a spoken word track. And uh, William Hung says, hello, I'm William Hung. You probably have seen me somewhere, American Idol, YouTube, news media, what you know, whatever it, it takes you for you to know me. He goes, I just want to thank you for, you know, for buying my album, and I wish all of you the best of luck in whatever you choose to do with your life. Right from that moment, he had me. Right. You know? And then every two or three songs throughout the album, there's other, like, inspirational quotes saying, 
uh, you know, saying, you know, if you believe in something, you can do it. And one of my favorite ones was just because you're not good at something shouldn't stop you from doing it. If right, you, exactly. If you enjoy it. Exactly. Yep, that's absolutely true. I, again, I bring up the karaoke example. Mm-hmm. You know, have go have fun. Have fun and do it. I'm a terrible guitar player. Do I still pick my guitar up and try and play songs? I do. Do my children leave the house? They do. <laughs> does my dog bite at me? She does. But I, I still do it because I enjoy it, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I sang in bands for a lot of years, and John Lydon would tell me that I can't sing, but... You know, I had fun doing it. I loved singing in, in the bands and stuff. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those, you know, It's it, if it brings me joy, I don't care if you don't like it. It's, you yeah. know, it's for me. It's not for you. Yeah. Run it Everything up the, has to be about you. Yeah, run it up the flagpole, see who salutes it, right? Right, exactly. He had a five-record deal that he was supposed to record with them. He's recorded three albums. Right. He still has two on the contract. Last interview I heard with him was uh, in October of last year. And he was saying that he's not sure if the contract is still standing because it's been so much time. Right. You know, and uh, I looked on Spotify. He still gets about 5,000 monthly hits, which which is more than, you know, more than some of the bands that I really like and aren't terrible singers get. So that's good. Right. Yeah. Uh, Put it this way. Andrew Dice Clay doesn't get that much. Right. Right. So uh, and he's he's supposed to be a comedian. Right. Well, all I'm going to say, it's like the lighted blazing saddles. They said he was hung. They was right. <laughs> Prior to COVID, William Hung was making a fairly decent paycheck doing motivational speaking gigs. Yeah, he won me over. I love the guy. That Put it this way. That will not be the last time I listen to that album. Well, that's good to know, and that's great. And uh, for those of you who are listening and want to hear the inspirational story that he's got without listening to the record, because, you know, whatever. Yep. Um, he has a couple of really good TED Talks you can find on YouTube. All right, so before we bring the show to a close, I did have my trivia question. The trivia question was, a donkey, better known as a jackass, but a jackass is a male donkey. What is the female called? I know, and at the beginning of this, I immediately blurted out Jill, or Jill ass, Mm -hmm. but that's that's probably not true. But I I think that the convention is probably true, so it's probably a J name. I'm going to say, like, it's like, Jane or Janice or something like it's like a J-A sound. You were so close. You were so close. Am I? Am I close? It's it's gotta be something like that. It's a Jenny. Oh, I was I was pretty damn close, wasn't I? Wow. That's not bad for not knowing shit. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, Look at that. Yep. Jenny, I got your number. All right, but that's gonna right. br- that brings a well, show. That makes me feel like a little like a jackass. <laughs> makes me feel like a Jenny ass. A Jenny. All right, so that brings the show to a close. We will see you right back here in right about seven days or so. We'll call it. Oh yeah. All right. Same bat time, same bat channel. That's right. As they used to say. All right. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibbly. This week was way better last year. You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.